0: I'll play back the levels the way you set them. Say it on me. Hey
1: pussy, are you still there? Lee. i back. People are always saying about the talk, and I talk, and I talk, and I talk, but guess who can walk? I back it up! I back it up! That means it's time to roll, baby. You got nothing going on between your
0: ears, bro. Hey, John, do you think I'm just gonna sit there and let you kill me, John? I mean, really. You think I could beat every girl in my division with one hand? That guy is such a dick. I mean, you show your true colors after a fight. That
1: fucking guy comes can... You know who you are. I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> I hope you guys come ready. Hi, Michael Morgan, and welcome to the WOCast. As ever, she joins me from the land of the free and the home of the brave. Shit. What's up, mate? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> uh, you know what? That um it is! It's, no! it's, it's, it's all about you this week. Oh, wow. It is all about you. Oh, wow. I like to hear uh, that. As... as as people know, uh, you have a new Twitter handle, and people, as usual, can continue the conversations that we bring up every single week. I'm at Mike WO TV, but it's all about you. Where are you at these days?
0: I am, ta da, just Gina MMA. Please follow me. Cool. Yes.
1: Indeed. Now, we had, um, well, we had quite a nice selection of promotions and fights. To uh, delight us over the last few days, started on Thursday with Bellator two five two, segued into Saturday with UFC Felder versus Dos Anjos and KSW fifty six Soldic versus Mattela. Um, let's deal with Bellator two five two Pitbull versus Cavalier. Before we get to the main event, I'm sure we're on the same page when I can confidently predict that. You just like me uh, had a very keen eye on Aaron Pico mm. because in the run up to his fight, we were both, and you know, uh, rightly so, I think, a little bit worried that the fact that he was actually um, coming up against John, mm. de, de, uh, John de Jesus Jesus, yep. yeah. Um, and John was no pushover, John was a live dog, and he laid waste to him. We were unnecessarily worried. Pico, basically, with that overhand right, made John De, De Jesus lean back like fat jerk. What did you make of that?
0: <laughs> it's so funny you bring this up because I couldn't wait for you to call for me to be like, Mike, what the fuck was wrong with us last week on Shots Fired <laughs> when we acted like two little bitches over Aaron Pico? Yo, we, yo, we yeah. straight up treated him like some newborn baby, like he doesn't have that mm. knockout. Power in his hands. And then he went out there and he decimated this man that we were so afraid of. So I, I got to start. I got to say, Mike, I got to stop picking the way that you do. Because you and Chisanga always do push-ups and shit. And if you notice, I never have to do them. So I got I to gotta man up a little bit and put more faith in Aaron Pico and, and take back that fear we had last week, bro. Did you see the overhand right that he landed mm. on that man that just obliterated Beautiful. him?
1: Beautiful. Oh. The the thing that confused me though was the kind of like melee afterwards. Who shouting at his corner, and he stood over John De Jesus shouting at him. But as far as I could work out, there wasn't any beef running up to the actual fight. So I was really kind of like, what's going on? And then he kind of dialled it back, said, "Oh, I'm sorry, that's not who I am. I'm a professional." And I thought, raw. Mm.
0: I I didn't I didn't have a problem with his behaviour because I'm the person that kind of understands that he put so much hard work into that fight, so when he got the dream knockout, he wanted to talk a little shit or whatever that was. I kind of like understand that they can't turn that off like a light switch. So whenever whenever they get a little cocky, as long as they don't spit on the corner like Bisbing did or just do something (laughs) disgusting, I kind of let the whole talking shit afterwards slide. I'm not ready for no Mm -hmm. justice, no peace Mm -hmm. on Twitter when they act like that, but I did notice quite a few followers were like, why do you guys like this arrogant fuck again? And I'm like, he's in the (laughs) moment. Relax, you know? I don't know.
1: I'm not going to lie. I I love that kind of behavior. Say it with your chest. There's no point in, you know, really masking the real person that you are. Especially, look, what are we looking at? We're looking at two individuals going head to head, clashing in a cage. So let's not try and finesse what we're looking at here.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's hard to pull that back too, Mike. Like, imagine mm -hmm. knocking somebody out like that after such a workup. A workout, a workup, whatever, and you land that yeah. punch. What do you just turn it off and just bow and be like, "Good fight." No, you're still hyped up. You're still upset. You're still like, "Ah." So I don't. I don't judge them for that. Mike, go
1: ahead. Hmm. And you know, fast forwarding. I know, obviously, there were fights in between time, but the one that really piqued my interest, obviously, was the main event after Aaron Pico and John DeJesus. Um, Pitbull versus Carvalho, I think in the lead up to this or in the lead into this, Carvalho had me half believing that he was going to do this. His conviction, his words, the way in which he was actually resolute that he was going to go in there and take the strap. It had me half believing it, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. I had to kind of like check myself whilst I was talking to you guys on the last podcast and say, yeah, okay, yeah, I know. Pitbull's going to go in there and lay waste. And lay waste, he did. Again, making his opponent lean back. That KO delivered like pizza, hot and spicy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was so beautiful because it just looked like Patricio demanded this knockout. The, the, the fight started. He takes the center of the cage and just immediately just does what he does. And mm. it's just a testament to his power. Like, it just looked like that one shot he hit him with, Pedro just crumbled. And it just to me it was like he's just a really strong, confident guy. And again, last week, I don't know what type of Kool Aid you was drinking, brother. I did not. I did not stir from from Pitbull. I knew he was gonna do that. Yeah. I just. I'm, I'm big on Pitbull. I don't think there's anyone out here for him. And I really wish Pitbull is the type of fighter or in an organization where they could, like, come over to the UFC or go to Ryzen. Like, I'd love to see him fight other champs. And I always keep my fingers crossed for one day Dana's going to let us see this.
1: He's been hinting. He's been tempting. Well, tempting fate, as it were, that, you know, the UFC is in his sights. I'm sure he said something along the lines of, um, you picked Chandler over me. Something like that.
0: I believe him because... This guy is so great that he's probably like, I need to test myself against greatness, too. And Mm -hmm. greatness is in the UFC. Like, there are people that are not taking him serious because he's in Bellator. And I'm sure that bothers him when he's actually a phenom, you know. So he probably wants to prove that and go to other organizations. And I swear to God, I hope he does because I'm high up on this cat. Yeah. But real real quick, Mike, Mm -hmm. if you did not see this fight, I need you to go see it. Uh, Daniel Weichel versus Emmanuel Sanchez didn't say it oh yeah go back and watch it go back and watch it Um, first of all these two guys came to fight Mm -hmm. and it was just one of those gritty back and forth fights but Emmanuel Sanchez was dominant throughout the whole fight but both of these men were landing bombs on each other's chins and nobody would go down and Emmanuel just basically turned into a Mexican zombie and was getting hit with such bombs but just kept coming forward kind of like Triple G in boxing you know when he eats a punch and he just ah he just keeps coming forward Emmanuel was doing that the whole fight and he dominated Daniel and that's a really you know, beautiful feet because Daniel Wachell is forty and twelve. He's got the he's got the experience, the time, and he's well rounded and Emmanuel ate him alive. Mm. My brother, please go back and watch this fight. Seriously, I'm not even just saying that for the show, go watch the fight.
1: Wachell is in the banks to be watched later on. Thanks. Yeah. Now fast forwarding into well, Saturdays um, UFC action before we mm-hmm. get there. I just really wanted to touch on KSW 56. I'm glad, mm-hmm. and it really does make me kind of like um uh hopeful that more media outlets will start to cover um KSW because I, I remember you know Kyro saying that this is something which he's going to be featuring on his channel. Now, Ooh. he could have gone like the normal route of in setting up or re establishing his channel, let's just stick with the high traction. And um, in terms of conversations, um, high growth, um, well, leader of the sport, Mm -hmm. the UFC. But no, he's saying, no, I'm also going to be concentrating on Bellator, concentrating on, you know, PFL and KSW as well. And there's reason to, because in terms of their production values, in terms of the matchups they produce, in terms of the overall package, they are, I would say, the leaders, especially in Europe, when it comes mm-hmm. to actually delivering a product. On Saturday, they put on KSW 56, um, Roberto Soldik versus Michal uh, Matella, who was the main event for that. But before we get there, Thomas Narkun, a name which you need to look out for in the future, retained his light heavyweight strap, handing Ivan Ensland. Um, his first career loss. But just before we finish with KSW 56, a name to look out for, I mentioned it just there, is Roberto mm-hmm. Soldic. He um, annihilated uh, Michael, uh, Mattela, or Michael Mattela in the first round. It's a first-round stoppage. He is definitely one to keep an eye on because I feel in the coming months... I reckon within six months you'll see Roberto Soldic either courted by the UFC or um, in the UFC. Why I say courted, KSW, as I say, they don't scrimp on quality in terms of production values. That costs a lot to put on mm-hmm. what they actually deliver. It's pristine, it's clean, it looks absolutely a million dollars and it looks as though, you know, it matches that phrase in terms of how much they've invested in it. But they also pay their fighters incredibly well. They don't oh, wow. actually mess about when it comes to the entire package. And fighters aren't treated as though they're giving an opportunity. They're treated like employees. So I'd be oh. very surprised if Roberto does, or Roberto Soldit does actually choose to go to the UFC. But um, he's definitely UFC- one he's definitely one to the look UFC out for.
0: Has a. am mm-hmm. ski- oh, sorry, Mike, I'm talking over you. The That's UFC right. does have a storyline with him if they ever bring him along. Um, he has a win and a loss over uh, Dricka's Duplessis, yeah. and that is that South African man that, that <laughs> was nervous as hell, but then later on got his shit together and mm. nailed the dude. Um, that would be a nice storyline, and they look to match up well, and obviously they have some bad blood between them because there's three. a win-loss here mm. on his record. Yeah, why not do a part three? But I look forward to learning about this guy, his record looks beautiful and his nickname is RoboCop how cool is that yeah
1: definitely one to look (laughs) forward to yeah so UFC Felder versus Dos Anjos now as usual we start um you picking two me picking two in terms of um prelim action I'm not gonna lie prelim action in terms of what we saw and what was played or what played out Slim pickings. And it's it's mm-hmm. really and truly um, not for, um, well, not for want of trying to put together a card because it's a pairback um, Safarov taken from the card. Eric Anders taken from the card. Louis Smoker taken from the card. And obviously their opponents couldn't be matched because of the short notice in terms of those um, match-ups being pulled. But right. I'm glad that they were pulled not because of COVID, but because of weight issues. And uh, I think in the case of Louis Smolker, um, I need to check this, but it seems as though he was actually ill, like like sick, sick, but nothing yeah. to do with COVID. So that's quite encouraging. But for me, I wanted to start with Alex Marino um, versus Reese McKee. Now, Mm. I did say this in the run-up to this, and I don't want to be all I told you so, but I was worried for Reese McKee only because of the pedigree that he was facing in Alex Marino. Alex um really put on a display and, you know, made Reese look as though, you know, this was his, his first rodeo. Because for somebody as tall as Reese, I was shocked and surprised that his range didn't actually factor into not only his game plan but the adjustments being made. It seemed as though Reese's game plan, I know this is disrespectful, but this is what it looked like. It looked like his game plan was to block Marino's fist with his face because he was. You took the words
0: out of my mouth. Yes. I was just about to say that. Like what I I noticed most was that, bless you. What I noticed, you're welcome. What I noticed with Reese was. Where's the defense, bro? Mm -hmm. Like every time you come in, you're getting smashed and you're getting hit with the harder shots. Yeah. I just, I saw no adjustments except sometimes I saw him put out his elbow to block, which is normal to do, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't enough, bro. And also, again, I don't understand like the taller fighter not keeping Alex on the outside and using his reach advantage and also his length to his advantage. And instead, Alex was... Able to get in on the inside easily and just start clobbering him and, and bullying him a little bit. And he and then Alex had the control in the fight. If you notice, he kept that fight in the center of the cage, yeah. which I thought was beautiful. Yeah. It was beautiful. And it was and and Reese just had nothing for him except a really good chin and he did land a couple of pot shots, but no like combinations, no it was a he looked a little bit like a fish out of water. I hope I'm not being too harsh or whatever, but I did see online that some folks were saying something about a padded record or that he hasn't really faced UFC type of competition, and maybe that's true. And that's absolutely
1: right, because in terms of the run-up to this, this was a surprise entry to the UFC, because Mm -hmm. I think it was a a late notice um, call-up, because they were trying to find someone for the killer Kamzat Chemaev to face, and he just happened to fit the description in that he is... You Know in all intents and purposes, a um lightweight who well has fought at welterweight. Now he's fighting at welterweight because that's what he was signed and contracted to. But again, I'm trying to choose my words carefully because I don't want it to seem like yeah. I'm a hater, I don't want it to seem as though I'm overly negative. But same, I think too fast a journey to the UFC is the story here, and it's kind of playing out because. Albeit that Kamzat Shemaev, in the run up to that, he had no preparation. Albeit mm-hmm. that um, in the run up to this and facing a veteran, he had lots of prep. I still feel as though this fast tracking to the UFC from a regional promotion where he was just cutting his teeth. Now, don't get me wrong, yes, he has been on the regional promotion for quite a while, promotions for quite a while. He's previously a mainstay at Bama. But recently mm-hmm. um, moved over to Cage Warriors, and I was really hoping to see him, like, perfect his craft. Now, I'm worried that we've seen him against someone who he had no prep time for, and we've seen him against someone who he has had prep time for. But the same issues are still so prevalent.
0: They remain, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, again, I'm, uh, for 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 want of, you know sounding um like a hater i want to give him the benefit of the doubt but i'd be very very surprised if his tenure in the ufc or his his journey in the ufc is a long one just based on what i see is like near enough rookie mistakes things which he needs to work on that could actually be accomplished on the regional circuit what do you think am i being too harsh rain me in if you feel as though i'm being really critical here
0: no, I don't think you're being harsh at all. And I think you're being very professional and very polite about it, too, as well. And I'm going to do the same. I'm not going to take a shit on this kid. Mm. But I really wish that this is the type of fighter to me that would do well, or maybe would fare better on the Contender series or the Tough House. He needs to be developed You understand like whether it's the regional circuit or whether it's just the lights and whistles of the contender series and having to get a knockout or whether having to deal with the shenanigans of a tough house. Mm -hmm. But when you're in the tough house, you do get coached by somebody. You do. You are brought up on the contender series when you're not good enough or Dana's not ready for you. There's a developmental plan. And I think he's somebody that needs more type of develop, you know, developing before he's just thrown against a Shemaev or an Alex Morano, who has a lot of experience and has done this before. And he he doesn't need a developmental plan. He's ready, good to go. He's in the UFC. This kid, Reese McKee, needs a little bit more work. And I hope, by the grace of God, he does get the development that he needs and then comes back to the UFC.
1: What did you think of uh, Gumshell (laughs) Gate? I've never seen seen anything like that in my life. His gum shield flies out, and that's Reese McKee's gum shield flies out. And they spend, like, near enough three whole minutes looking for it. All the while, Alex Marino, who, you know, just before that happened, was getting backed up. Because if you remember, he shot for a takedown, which was kind of like, oh, I'm getting a little bit rocked here. And um, he had a chance to recover, came back fresh as a daisy. What did you think of that? Yep.
0: Well, first and foremost, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Gum piece? What's this? It, um, uh, he's, you, he's
1: gum shield. What do, what do you call it? Gum Mouth, shield. M- mouthpiece. Mouthpiece. Yeah, so when you said
0: gum shield, I was like, I don't recall him chewing gum in the fight, but was he? Like, shit. Okay, um, cultural language barrier, but fixed. That's <laughs> that's a mouthpiece. Um, I thought it was pretty funny because it was like what you said. The timing of it was horrible yeah. because Marina just went back and was like, well, I get it bless you. Oh, um, and he was like, I get a breather. You know, he gets to sit back. And then even Reese was starting to help out with looking for the, for the gum shield. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> um, and then when, <laughs> when they found the gum shield, I was just grossed out. I was like, where has that gum shield been sitting in under that cage? And we just going to put it back in his mouth. But that's Damn. just me as a germaphobe. <laughs> but I was just happy, you know, cause I felt like it had interrupted the flow of things. So I was happy when they shoved it back in his mouth. But, I mean I wasn't you know I didn't really expect Reese to benefit from that break either it just went kind of right back into him getting beat up in the defense you know so I don't know we'll see what happens with him
1: Mm. well you pick one What, what, uh, what did it for you
0: well, we'll start with the bottom of the card. Um, Dantel Mays versus Roque Martinez. Again, listeners, I'm I'm not familiar with these Contender Series pups, and sometimes I don't know where they find these people. Mm. So, but Dontel Dantel is a Contender Series pup, and unfortunately, he had a UFC debut against Surreal Gagne in 2019, that ended in a heel hook submission. That's your boy. That, you, yeah, that's my boy, but he went down. Cyril took him down, but he's back. He's had two back-to-back losses, and we all know that with a third loss, this guy might have been cut. So he came out ready to fight, and mm. I liked that he was composed. I loved his boxing. I loved the combinations he was throwing, and I liked that he established range and used his... Reach advantage, unlike Reese McKee, I don't want to shit on you too bad, but this guy was able to establish the range and use it to his advantage very early on. And that's what kind of got him the win. He was able to keep this kid on the outside, and I loved it, and I loved the footwork. And I also loved the flying knees towards the end of the third round, and I loved his gas tank because he kept the same energy throughout the three rounds. Don't know much about Roque Martinez, but when I did a little research, he's had a pretty busy career. He's been in there with a lot of folks, but even though he has a pretty savvy background and he has like a lot of experience on the regional scene and as a professional fighter, as a, you know, he's got two losses in a row. I was impressed with his tenacity and his ability to turn things up towards the second and third round, mm. but it just wasn't enough, but we'll see if he gets called up again. I don't know. He's got two losses in a row and I don't know if he has a huge following. So we'll see, but it was a decent fight. Gee, Not bad.
1: did we see yeah. the same fight? Were we in the same dimension? Because, I looked at this before it started. I, I was like, yes, heavyweights are going to do some business. Heavyweight's head is going to be coming off here. And I was like, midway through, I was like, what the fuck am I watching? This is horrible. This is horrendous. Can't it be over already? And I saw I mean, I was guy, trying to
0: be
1: nice, Mike. Well, Damn. I, I saw a guy in, in Martinez who he looked like he'd just come out of the flipping all-you-can-eat buffet. I was shocked and surprised at the shape. Okay, given what I saw. I was very surprised at his movement. Very, very deft in his movement. Yes. I saw some some attempts there, which, you know, a man of his size and stature, I'd be very shocked yep. at. But all in all, this was a horrible fight.
0: Oh, it, pretty, it was. I was just trying to be nice because <laughs> I have to cover it. <laughs> And I'd like to also tell the listeners that Mike picked all the good fights to cover before <laughs> I even woke up. I woke up to Mike like I'm covering all the bangers. What are you covering? Well, the scraps that you left me, sir. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I take none of that personal, y'all. I'm just fucking with him. But it was a horrible fight, and I'm mm. just going to go out and say this: I didn't like the card. I didn't like the prelims. Nah, I nah. love, I love the main event and the co-main event, with and you. I love Kate K. Hansen. And we'll get to McKenna in that fight. That was. Oh, that fight was orgasmic. But I wasn't feeling this card. I don't know why. I went on um, MMA Twitter, and um, MMA Twitter ratioed and dragged Zane Simon from Bloody Elbow for saying this card was mediocre. And, in fact, it was. Like, I wasn't excited to watch this, and this fight did suck. But... Mm -hmm. Two, two athletes went in there and gave us their all. So I'm gonna be nice and break it down as fairly as possible, and I think Dontel did a good job. And I just don't know if Roque Martinez is coming back to us or not. But nah. good luck and
1: <laughs> he's going, he's going back to the buffet.
0: Yeah, but oh shit, <laughs> I feel like. I feel like this episode, we've switched roles. Like, I'm usually the one that's like, ah, fuck them. And you're like, well, I'm going to be nice. Well, <laughs> you can be mean today, Mike. I love it. <laughs>
1: I've been hanging with you too, too too, much. Yep, yep. What did you make of um, Geraldo De Freitas and uh, Tony Gravely? See, I thought that was more of a decent matchup. And that was more in your wheelhouse of, you know what? We've got something here that could play out based on records horribly. Now mm-hmm. Tony Gravely, twenty and six, took Geraldo De Freitas, he's twelve and six, to a decision. Now, I thought what it looked like and the way that it played out, it looked very competitive.
0: Oh yeah, me too. That's yeah. I actually enjoyed this fight because it was competitive and I'm quiet as kept. I was happy with how they were kind of evenly matched, but what happened to me mm. is that Um, Tony Gravely was just stronger than Geraldo De Fritas and was using his wrestling and his strength to his advantage but first and foremost I don't want to take away from Tony Gravely's last loss which was to John Phillips and I don't want to take away from his performance I said that wrong but his last loss was John Phillips, and I was impressed with Gravely's um, wrestling. So to me, I'm like, damn, John Phillips is a is a, a force to be reckoned with because he's no slouch in Gravely. I was impressed with his wrestling, mm-hmm. you know. But back to the fight. Gravely's wrestling is what got him this win. He was the superior grappler, and he was just stronger than DeFreitas. And DeFreitas put up a good fight. He stayed in Gravely's face as much as he could before he was taken down and controlled on the ground. And I think he just had a strong belief in his jiu because he's pretty good at it and he tried his best but Gravely was too strong and slamming him out of submissions and throwing him around but De Freitas had a beautiful right hand and he knew he was behind so when you saw him explode in the third round and they gave us that wild exchange yeah. I loved it but Gravely like I said I keep saying he was just too strong for him and he used his wrestling to his advantage and De Freitas really believed in. he was confident in his jiu-jitsu even though it wasn't working and I think he may be was too confident in it and, st- and spent too much time on the ground instead of really trying to get up. But the fight was fun. I give it to both of them for this.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. You're, you're right in saying that I have actually woken up and taken the, the lion's share in terms of the good bouts. You know what I'm going to do? Because I'm gracious like that. I'm going to let you break down random Marcos and Kanaka Murata.
0: Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> um, what I saw in this fight, man... Um, I'm not a big fan of Ronda Marcos, I'm going to be honest. I don't really like enjoy her fights, but she's tough. She's tenacious, and I will say this before we go into Kanako Murata, which I was thoroughly impressed with. Ronda's defense to this woman's constant wrestling and level changes was impressive. Like I kind of understand why Bisbin kept commenting on Ronda Marcos and making these adjustments. Although she lost in these scrambling exchanges, and Kanako was the superior wrestler... Her defense, tenacity, and her grittiness was something that Michael Bisping was falling in love with, and me too. I give Ronda that. However, Kanaka Maratu is a savage wrestler. And on top of that, when she had the opportunity to land some ground and pound, the shit was fucking scary. Like, those right hands she was landing on Ronda's face on occasion was massive and very heavy, and she just basically out wrestled her and had the cardio and the endurance to keep at it, and let's not forget, she ate an upkick like a fucking zombie, like she was Frankenstein, like nothing Rhonda had for her was, was, you know, derailing her or upsetting her, and she had a clear, decisive three-round win because of her strong-ass wrestling and those bombs she was dropping on the ground and pound. I was impressed, impressed, impressed. Mike, what'd you think of her? <laughs>
1: You know what, I had my eye very, very uh, keenly on her only because when she was signed, you know, everybody was talking about her as the rising darling and the fact that she mm-hmm. you know, lay waste to opponents and that her wrestling was something to be reckoned with and the fact that, you know, she'd done pretty much the same in, in Victor as well, so... I was really, really shocked and surprised by how dominant she was in this. I mean, just like yourself, I'm not really a fan of Random Marcos, but, you know, no. I was expecting in terms of pedigree. For me, Rising and Invicta um, don't really compare in terms of, um, well, the roster and opponents. So I was mm-hmm. just really, really surprised by the Dagestani approach as well. I mean, I saw the Dagestani handcuff on right? on, on show on show there. Plus, I just loved the way in which she just like the top control, her her, her, her kind of like dominance yes. was just like from pillar to post, from start to finish, was just frightening. And I think that she's going to be going places. Plus. I know, I know you shouldn't really um, objectify people, but I was dazzled by her upper body. Not only in strength, but just the way in which she was defined. Those arms.
0: Yeah. She I was envious.
1: Like,
0: yeah, yeah. Like, I don't even think it's... Um, you're not objectifying her. I really just think her physique is something to to compliment yeah. her. It's beautiful. I, and, and I don't mean this in a sexual nature or even in, in a... And I don't think you feel that way either, that you're objectifying her. The woman is just chiseled and shaped like a statue yeah me too I saw the chest packs and the arms I was like bitch don't let me get back into it don't (laughs) let me get back into the gym now don't don't you be the reason why I get back into it but no you're not objectifying it at all I noticed it right away she has a beautiful uh, physique And then she's strong as fuck, Mike. Like forget the physique, like the the physique matches the strength. Yeah. I I, I jumped a few times when she landed some hard right hands, and Mm-mm. I was glad when when Ronda pu- when Ronda pulled her close like, "Oh, no more." Like like I liked how Rhonda responded to her to her defensively, and that is why Bisbing was falling in love with her, like Ronda was Ronda was doing all the right things, she just wasn't enough for this beast. You know?
1: Yeah. Going into the main card, then, um, Kay Hansen and Corey McKenna. Now, again, <laughs> I'm going to come across oh, like a hater, hater today. But Corey McKenna, yeah, she reps Wells. And um, again, I, I don't want to sound like flipping Benedict Arnold, but I personally felt that Kay Hansen won this. It was her first assignment um, for McKenna after coming off Dana White's um, Contender Series. Now, Personally, feel as though Dana White was on a high that particular season because he was giving out contracts left, right, and centre. Oh, he was in a good mood, yeah. For me, yeah. For me, um, in that bout, if I remember rightly, Corey McKenna didn't do anything spectacular or sensational that made me think, "Oh, you definitely had to sign her." Similarly, with last night, don't get me wrong, I liked her tenacity. I loved the way in which she stuck in there, but. I was shocked when um her hand was raised and Kay I think was <laughs> as shocked as I was. Down down yeah, me, was... me back if I'm being out of order.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, you're being out of order here. Um, <laughs> um where do I start? Yeah, like I don't agree on this at all. When I watched the fight that you're speaking of in reference to Corey McKenna in the contender series, mm. I actually saw potential in her. And um I think her grappling is is a one, And that is why we saw them competing the way that they did last night. She is just as good as Kay Hansen, And you know how I knew, I didn't really know much about uh, Corin McKenna prior to this fight. But I did see her Contender Series debut and fight. However, when I was on MMA Twitter, I noticed a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners were, th- were like thirsty for this fight. And when I started to ask more questions and read the threads from these Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners, they were all saying that... Her jujitsu can match Kay Hansen's, and they are equal prospects. Like they are at the same point of their professional career right now, and we were going to have a close fight. And I remember mm. thinking, what the fuck are they talking about? And what have I missed? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, don't, I, didn't, I don't know any of this. And I'm sitting here like, what the fuck? But I noticed a small following of people that, like, and I mean the diehard jujitsu jitsu people, not someone that just goes after work, people that trained in it for years, mm, like Brad mm. and a few others on my timeline. And they kept buzzing around Corey McKenna in this fight. And then everything they said came true. Yo, Corey, Yo, she can hang with her. But here's the problem with why you thought she won. It looked like she won. I thought k won too. But when you check the stats, Mike, mm. wow. When Because I woke up the next morning like, I thought k won, but that's just my eyes. So when I checked the stats, Mike, yo, Corey McKenna, I believe, um, outstruck. Um, Did she outstrike um, Kayla? I believe she might have outstruck her. Right. Or she landed, or like, and also too, the more significant shots, the harder shots were landed by her. But it's weird. My eyes say that that <laughs> she won. Yeah, you know. But this, but also too, and then and also like, what is it? Um, Kay Hansen had a couple takedowns or whatnot. Or it was just a really interesting fight, and it was really hard to judge. And I I don't want to switch places with those judges because I honestly, I feel like the fight could have went either way. But my eyes thought Kay Hansen had the fight. You know, and I don't have the stats in front of me right now, so I might be messing that up. But it was just a really confusing fight to pick because it looked like K. Hansen won. But maybe the judges saw the more significant shots, the harder shots, were from McKenna. Yeah. And I did kind of see that, too. Like, some of those counters were ugly. And, in fact, one of those counters had... um. Kay shaking her head like, yeah, you got
1: me. You know? yeah. She was impressed
0: <laughs> she was <laughs> with like, one yeah, of them.
1: Respect. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah.
0: And and then when they went to the ground, there were times when Kay Hansen seemed to be superior on the ground. But mm. I mean, defensively, McKenna, McKenna, I was impressed. I, I can keep rambling about both of them. And to be honest with you, this was my fight of the night. It was my favorite fight on the card. I was in my house, butt cheeks tight, just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? I loved it. Did you enjoy this fight though, Mike?
1: No, I didn't. I
0: thought it oh was Oh my god.
1: Don't wrong. I I thought it was good, but enjoyed to the level where I'd give it Fight of the Night. No, I had more fun. I had more fun with the Defretus um uh fight. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Wow. Okay. If we're if we're gonna talk about, you know, who should be getting um Fight of the Night honours, I, I just love the back and forth. I love the display and the the fact that, you know, they were they were I suppose disparate in terms of you had as i say gravely on 20 and 6 and um the on 12 and 6 and it made me feel oh. you know this could actually go how it was playing out this could go either way and i like right. those on i like the way that that played out but um i hear where you're coming from yes it was an enjoyable yeah. fight but to to, wa- to award it. it fight of the night i think might be a little bit you know yeah, maybe Stretching it's a fits. fight
0: more. Yeah, maybe it's a fight more of my liking, mm. of my taste. I, I like when fighters are evenly matched. And I was able to while you were talking, I pulled up the stats. Check it out. In total strikes, mm. you know who had more strikes? Total strikes. Corey, Corey McKenna. McKenna. She had yeah. 156 versus 87. Wow. You know, like I don't know. Perhaps the the judges saw that or whatnot. But it was such a hard fight to judge. And my eyes thought. Um, Kay Hansen won. And also too, the stats also say that, um, what's it called? Kay Hansen had two takedowns. That's huge. And she when she did that those takedowns, she did control her yes. for a little bit before yes. before um McKenna did that beautiful sweep and got on top. Yeah. Like I don't know. I was at the edge of my seat on this and shout out to the ladies for this fight. I really, really enjoyed it. I'm high up on it. I don't Mm. care what
1: you say, Mike. Well, I want to end that, you know, discussion on a a high. And that is, I love the way, and I want to underline this. I think I said it earlier, but I don't want it to be lost. I love the way that Corey McKenna hung in there, stuck in there, and Mm -hmm. matched her in terms of what she was able to bring to the table. This was by no means a... um, It shut out and obviously wouldn't be because Corey McKenna came away with a win. And you're right, maybe I missed that because I was more impressed and more bamboozled by the way that Kay Hansen not only got the takedowns but controlled her as well.
0: And also, too, I had like a a sneak peek of of a buzz before this fight, because remember last week on Shots Fired, you all asked us, what were we in tune with or what did we really want to see? None of us mentioned this fight, but I'm telling you, Mike, when I got online and I noticed jujitsu practitioners buzzing around this and people like prospect versus prospect, I was in. So I had that added like... Sneak peek, and then that got my interest into this. And then Mike, everything the jujitsu people said was true. Mm. They were evenly matched, and I was on the edge of my seat. So I had that little bit of a push that you didn't have. You didn't have that scoop.
1: Yeah, that you're I got right. For the fight, you're yeah. right. Great fight. I tell you what about Buzz though. Mm-hmm. Um, it was good to see Sean Strickland get back to um, his, yeah. his, his 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 well in his wheelhouse. And taking it to He's Brendan fun. Allen. Yeah. I don't know about you, but this is what it looked like to me. It looked like Strickland for at least the first round was trying to get a read on Brendan Allen, what he does when I keep jabbing, because he was he was connecting with those jabs over and over and over and over and over, almost as though he was, like, testing him. So in the second round, part two, okay, I'll jab, but then I'll count and then I'll follow yeah, up on that.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what he
1: happened. He spent, it looked like he, He spent two rounds, as I say, trying to like work that out, almost hypnotizing um, Allen into, okay. well, no, you thought that was coming, but this is what's coming And not just
0: that, Mike, um, let's not forget that Brendan Allen is a wrestler. So while Sean Strickland is jabbing him over and over again, he's lulling him Mm. into a cadence of keeping this on the feet. Because notice the wrestler did not even attempt to, there's no temp down to take take down a- attempts on here I'm looking at the stats right now I don't a- no, Sean Strickland managed to get a wrestler to fight his fight on the feet <laughs> yeah. good job and and he won mm-hmm. and not only did he win by K or T- TKO I'm looking at the stats now he outstruck the fuck out of this kid okay 106 shots <laughs> versus um Allen's 53 Unbelievable. And he killed him on the significant shots with the harder strikes with ninety four verse fifty one. And at no point did the wrestler think, Hey, I should wrestle this guy. Nope. Nope. <laughs> He's he uh, kept it standing and we saw what happened in round two, that beautiful KO. And you know what else I like about mm. Sean Strickland? He knows when to turn it up. When Brendan Allen was affected by I believe one of those right hands that he hit him with or maybe that one two that started it. He saw him crumple and he went in for the kill. He didn't go for a takedown. Mm -hmm. He didn't just take a step back and let the guy get his you know, get his wits about him. He went in for the finish and I like that killer instinct in him. And I wanna see this guy fight again, like I said in the beginning of the, the portion of his of this fight, he's fun. F that.
1: Oh, one hundred percent. No, I yeah. I hear that. I hear that. What did you make of Ashley Yoder and Miranda Granger? Uh,
0: not much. Um, <laughs>
1: that, uh, that sounded like the air coming out of my balloon because yeah, that, like, that, that was my thought exactly. That's that was the that was the air being 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 punctured by a pin. Seriously, yeah. it was like it was ugh, like this should yeah. be a
0: prelim, and then also maybe the yes. last week, so we could have got. Over the, you know, what I'm saying like it just. Overall, though, it, it's a fight. We watched it. Overall, Ashley had a good performance, and I think she needed it. And the stats mm-hmm. prove that she prevailed. I do believe Miranda had more of the significant shots, but my eyes were on Ashley Yoder. I feel like she made all the, you know, the transitions and and changes she needed to make with everything that Miranda threw at her, and she had a good performance. It just wasn't a very exciting fight. And I was bored with this fight. This is when I went to the fridge to get snacks. This is when I decided to make lemon water. This is with the fight where you're like, you don't mind if you miss something. So I was a Mm. bit distracted. I mean,
1: the grinding up against the cage, I could understand um, that as a tactic, but it was too much for me. And um, apart from the sub attempt at the, Mm -hmm. at the, the, the dying embers of the third, this was a very, very yeah, bout. and it
0: just to me, it's, I can see this on the early prelims. I just don't understand why it was on the main card. But we all know that with all these replacements, COVID, and also the UFC's contractual, you know, they're bound to ESPN. They have to put these cards on. So we're going to get stuff like this. So, yeah.
1: Mm, mm. I hear yeah. you. But <laughs> the next bout actually made we up. We woke up on this because, one, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, Abdul Razak <laughs> Al-Hassan and, and uh, Kaylin Chaos Williams. Oh, um, put an exclamation mark on, well, anybody who, who felt as though they were, they felt like sleeping. And speaking of sleeping, you you tell mm. me this. This seems to be a recurring theme of Kayleen Chaos Williams. Um, for me, he lives up to his name, and he lives up to his name um, in this fight. And uh, if I remember rightly, in the previous fight, yes, right?
0: He, yes, he smoked now, Alex Moreno in his last fight, quickly.
1: He keeps talking about the fact that He's the underdog. I mean, his phrase, either it's he is in his own eyes, the underdog or his PR team just want him to maintain that gaslighting because it allows him to slap in that phrase, which I think really works. They sleep on me and I let the duck wake him up. I personally don't see him as the underdog so I'm like thinking where is he coming from? Am I missing something? I
0: think he means more like nobody's talking about him not that he's not a good fighter or he's ah. an underdog he's not famous like nobody's calling him out mm. nobody's like I want to fight him he's not seen as a prospect yet or like you know what I mean? like he's he doesn't have a name yet in the UFC so I think because yeah. he doesn't have a name yet no one's calling him out he considers himself a UFC underdog but the man what is he on like a Eight-fight professional win streak, and also now on a two-fight UFC um, win streak. He's not, and he's not yeah. an underdog. He's eleven and one, and he's pretty damn he, he's here to stay. And can we also talk about the scary serial killer stare? that he does before the fight. <laughs> yeah, before the and fight. Can, can wow. I also tell you that I think this is a trademark of his because I pulled up his record on Sherdog sure and what's the first fucking thing I see? Mm. The scary serial killer stare <laughs> under his name. <laughs> so I'm putting two and two together and realizing that's his thing. Like He just stares at the, yeah. his opponent and doesn't move until the fight starts and he's fucking intense. Now, let's get back to the fight sequence. I love the faint Followed by the right hand that crumpled Abdul Razak mm. Al Hassan,
1: and also one shot, one, one, shot kill. one kill. Do you think it was a little bit? Yeah. Do you think it was a little bit excessive to go in there? He could see that my guy was stiff, but he went in there to finish him, serial killer style. As no, you say.
0: because I mean, Mike, you know what I used to do for a living. When you're caught up in the in the moment of fighting, sometimes it's hard to pull back. And I and I completely yeah. understand how a professional athlete. Um, does not stop until the referee pulls them off or sometimes there's an extra shot afterwards or even before when we talked about the taunting. It is very hard Mm-mm. to turn off the adrenaline and a violent feeling like a switch. <laughs> so I don't, I have no yeah. issue with that extra shot and also I am a firm believer in fighters fighting until the referee takes you off that person's body.
1: No, yeah, I hear yeah, you. I hear you, but it's just that you could see he was yeah, stiff yeah. and I'm thinking... Wow, you're you're going in for the kill, yeah. like double kill. Just, you're digging him up out of his grave and killing yeah, him and again. Yeah, and I'm a fan that's like, I love
0: this shit. And then also, too, like, <laughs> I can kind of relate to when you just kind of let one go too. You know, like, I, I, I know that feeling of not being able to turn it off and, and adrenaline. Yeah. It's really hard to think straight when you're like pumped up with adrenaline. It's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. So I can only imagine a professional fighter that has all this angst and build up, and a whole team behind him. And you get that shot, and the ref hasn't told you to stop the fight yet, so you go and pow! I get it, <laughs> you know? So I don't know, but I love, love the feint. I, I love feints. That little feint he threw high level, and then he just dropped him, and the power behind mm-hmm. that punch. And can we also talk about Abdul? Like, that's no slouch. I, was, I picked True. Abdul to win, to be honest with you. I, I, I had more faith in, in the more patient fighter. I just know that chaos does explode mm. like his name. So I thought the more patient fighter would win this, and I put my money on, I picked incorrectly. And, man, I won't ever do that again with Mr. Chaos. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel bad for... Main um, event. Huh? I feel bad for Abdul. Um, he's had two losses now in the UFC, and he's having like a hot, cold yeah. career. Two wins, two losses, Mm. two wins, two losses. So, I hope he bounces back from this. I don't Hmm. know.
1: Made event, Paul Felder versus RDA, Rafael Dos Anjos. You know, let's just pause, give the man his props here. Paul Felder was basically sat in the gym when he got that call, less than a week's prep basically went in there and looked as though, you know, he'd had a full camp. Don't get me wrong, he wasn't perfect. You could see that his timing was way off. He couldn't stop like the wave upon wave of takedowns. But in the cold light of day, this is someone who didn't have a fight on his mind seven days ago and went in there and bossed it. And I'm glad, I'm glad that he did that because it's obviously renewed the fire in his yes. heart because he's like, no, I'm not quitting. If I can do this on this um, short notice, imagine me full with camp. a full cam. And yep, he's damn yep. right. When
0: I saw him say that, I was like, you damn right, baby. You're going to keep fighting. Because in my mind, I put myself in his shoes and I'm like... If I was him, I would be like, I did all this just from training from a triathlon, and I fought RDA, who's in a division where he's most comfortable, and I put up this type of fight. Man, with a full camp, I might have beat him. And not only that, Mike, he improved. Like, I totally agree with Bisbee when he says, like, when you take a break from fighting and you train in something else, you're just fresher. And that's what we saw, man. Like, I've never seen... Paul Felder throw with such um, conviction <laughs> and with such power before. Like I just remember every punch, ha, ha, and he was landing and hitting him really hard. And the spinning elbow was scary. And he was on point. G, go ahead.
1: Gee, you know I love you, but you're drinking the no, Kool Aid. Drink, I'm drinking. That's it. his right hand. man yeah, yes, his right hand man. That's his buddy. Of course he's gonna big him up. Nah,
0: I thought he I looked hear dope. This I thought he looked. You don't think his striking <sighs> looked dope? <laughs>
1: I, I I couldn't see many of those strikes landing. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a lot of volume. But look at the strikes which actually landed. For me, um, as I say, his timing was way off. For me, it looked as though, you know, um, facts of facts. Mm-hmm. the The issue here was he didn't have enough time to actually drill what actually comes from going in the gym day in day out and that is how do you actually get into a rhythm where you are the aggressor, where yeah, you are actually yeah, yeah. landing where you are actually off the basis of getting a rhythm and timing set up actually you know go for a win here and it was clear from start to finish he was dominated but, but he Mike, was absolutely listen to
0: what i'm saying though this wasn't mm. paul felder with a full camp and he still looked yeah, pretty good. I yeah, off with that. yeah. Is, yeah. That's I, I why. That. Yeah. This is that's why I'm high up on Paul Felder with someone that did he said he did light pad work. And he looked like that last night. And and I don't mm. think his cardio was that bad. He was we weren't like, "Oh man, he's out of breath." We were just like, "Ooh, you can tell that yeah. he hasn't done enough takedown defense and grappling." This you know, you can tell that he rode a bike this <laughs> this time around. He ain't but at the <laughs> same time, we've seen other fighters look terrible and gas out. You know, but he didn't. I thought he looked sharp for someone that just was riding a bike and training for a triathlon. That's why I'm I drank the Kool-Aid and was like, he looked dope because this man didn't even train for a fight. And he went up against RDA and still look kind of fly doing it. Come on
1: with a full camp.
0: He might have beat this cat.
1: You see, why I was laughing earlier, I had to turn down the volume on the commentary because I think Bisping was going uh, overboard, he, Last man. night,
0: I... Yeah,
1: <laughs> I will
0: agree with you on that. I thought he was going a little overboard with Paul Felder, and I also thought he was going overboard, like, with his favoritism. I thought he wasn't giving, um... Uh, Maratu, I'm saying her name wrong, he wasn't giving her enough credit. He was in love with Ronda Marcos's defense, which I understood, but yeah. you gotta give the the newcomer that has a debut here and a background in... in other, you yeah, gotta you, you gotta call out what you see. And I just noticed that with Felder and a couple of other fights, it was like he was more impressed with the person losing than the person that was doing all the work. And I remember thinking, like, <laughs> you must be friends or fans of these people, and it's coming out. Yeah, yeah. You know?
1: That it 100%. happens. He's
0: still better than Dominic Cruz. I can't take that one. <laughs> that Like when he comments, commentary is off. Like it's just silence or, you know, Twitter. <laughs> I don't need it.
1: Uh, uh, am I out of pocket here in thinking that it's very rare nowadays that you see Bisping uh, or hear Bisping and um, Cruz on the same broadcast team? It, it It's almost as though they rub each other up the wrong way. That's the vibe I I get.
0: get, You know what vibe I get? And this is just me and my Mm. gossiping, y'all. Don't start no rumors. But I think Dominic Cruz might be difficult to work with because whenever he sits with Joe, they just beef Quiet is Kept. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I think Dominic Cruz has a hell of an ego on him, and is just there to one up everybody. And he broadcasts like it too. Like when he, I hate when he works with Joe. I'm like, I don't care whose dick is bigger. Will y'all just literally talk about the fight? (laughs) But whenever he's on, I mute him. I can't really take him. He's too um, fast-forward thinking. He's always predicting what the fighters are doing instead of really, you know, talking about what he sees in front of him. He throws himself in the scenario too much as well. Like nobody cares that the ref didn't give that you think the ref didn't give you a chance when you fought Henry Cejudo I'm glad that the referee stopped that fight Dom it looked like he was dying but (laughs) I just he's on mute I can't take him everybody else I can listen to
1: am I right in thinking that he's kind of like dialed down and kind of like stepped back not necessarily retired but when was the last time that we heard joe rogan on, on a broadcast i know
0: i kind of noticed that last night and we're li- we're hearing more like there's all that there, i don't know who was with Bisbing last night i don't know his name but i've been hearing him more often and i don't like his
1: yeah casting.
0: you know yesterday when sean strickland last night when sean won that fight he was like we got a new player in this division Sorry, it's a catchweight bout there is no division like <laughs> sit down you excited but you know like li- little things <laughs> like that he's kind of like he's mm. still developing like he could go for a commentary development plan along with Cruz but um i like bisbing <laughs> he was just a little off last night and i was happy dom was off too
1: yeah cuz i know rogan's getting that spotify money i mean he's that good obviously he's set yeah. him up now for life he's 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 minting. and can you So this is kind of like chump change, really. It's kind of like petrol money. And
0: also, too, maybe he's a little burnt out. Because remember, it started with him no more international cards or traveling like crazy. He's tired. He's burnt. He's been doing this shit for how long? Commentating on fights. And he's got other stuff going on. So he probably likes Mm. this little break. Michael, it's time Mm. for me to gossip. I've been waiting to gossip with you all day. Um, (laughs) Go for it. Remember last week we talked about Jared Gordon and how, like, I was elated when, like, um, he gave me an apology and an apology for, like, his calling us idiots and being racist. And then yesterday, my man, he did it again, bro. He posted, like, so I have to give you a little background check. We have a crazy governor in the state of Florida, right? He now Mm. wants to pass legislation that says... If somebody is looting or destroying a business, citizens that carry guns can shoot them dead. Wow. Wow is right. And that is the same state that has the stand your ground law that got Trayvon Martin killed. You're familiar with that story. Yes. yes. So the governor of Florida would like to add to this. It's it's an it's an addition to the stand to your ground. Now you can not only stand your ground in self-defense for your life, but now you can defend Mm. other people's property and businesses and shoot people dead. That is now trying to be passed in Florida. It's not passed yet, but the governor is pushing for it. Jared got on Twitter, my man, and told people, this is wonderful. I love it. I love it. I love it. Man, MMA Twitter dragged him, and he came out his mouth again. Talking about he's, yeah, it was sad to see. And he's a former, like, uh. Like, I hate to say former criminal, but he's somebody he was saying in the thread, oh, I got, you know, wrongfully um, blah, blah, blah for home invasion or some shit like that. And people had to be like, great. So while you were doing that, you think it's okay for people to shoot you dead. Like, what are you advocating for? Yeah. So and then, you know, Kairos and a couple of other people jumped in my DMs and was like, ha ha. And you accepted his apology. And I just was like, damn, you're right. I should have never accepted that apology. But, Mike, I was so excited. Mm. It was like the first time in my life that I ever called a white person racist, and they didn't run away with the label. I've never had a white person apologize to me for being racist. White people are more concerned with the label than to actually be like, how did I offend this black person? Am I being Mm, racist? mm, So when Jared did mm. that to me, I was like, wow, this is like a... A profound moment for me and him and for everyone watching, fresh, yes, yeah. because people don't understand that when I use that word, I'm not saying you're a clan member, bro, I'm just saying in this moment, what you said was kind of foul, let's talk about it. But mm-hmm. instead, people just like you have no proof. I'm not racist. And they just get mad at me. And then they call me racist. So when Jared did not do that and offered me apology, I felt like my arms were wide open. Like I was like, I love you when we needed this. And now he just now he's um, promoting a law that probably is going to hurt more black people than white people like it did Trayvon Martin.
1: It normally does. I mean, we don't tend to come up uh, trumps. We tend to come a cropper when these things are adjusted so that, you know, people make their own interpretations of, you know, what conflict is, particularly when it comes to us yeah. and how, you know, harsh they should be with their retaliation. So, no, we won't, we won't come off uh, the, the better in all of this. In scenario. But I have a
0: question for you that stems from this conversation. Mm. Um, being that you're European, you're from the U.K., and you're someplace where guns are not readily available, correct? Like it's mm, right. And right. also police in the U.K. don't carry guns. Um, some, some don't.
1: I mean, the majority don't, go. but they do have special, special units. Um, tactics teams. Um, yeah, that carry Perfect. guns. Yes. That's
0: what I needed to know. As a European and a man from the U.K., what do you think of, of our gun culture in the U.S.? Honest opinion, do we look like fucking hillbilly cowboys or do we look like a place that needs to have these guns and we should all be armed? Like, what are your thoughts on on that?
1: 100% you do need to have um, the right, considering it's written in your constitution, but plus. But, you know, the fact is you have an extremely divided nation. You've got um, so many tension uh, and touch points running through uh, the country that... Thank God you all have guns because, really and truly, that's probably a preventative measure. Not only is it a preventative measure, but it allows for you to protect yourself if it does actually pop off. So, I don't think that's a bad idea. I really don't.
0: Mike, I 100% agree with you. I feel like the United States cannot scale back okay. on guns altogether. Like, it's too wild out here, and it's also protected by our Constitution, but I do think we need to reform Mm -hmm. it a little bit, and also we do need to address, like, the police violence, and I don't think laws encouraging citizens to shoot looters and um, (laughs) protesters is okay. So oh, I yeah. think things like oh, that need to uh, not be around and whatnot. But I asked because, like, you know, I travel the world a lot. And I find that whenever I leave the United States and go to Europe or places, you know, outside of the United States, people immediately want to talk about Trump and guns. So I'm just like, I wonder what Mike was thinking about our guns. Because a lot of people overseas do look at us like some hillbilly country, you know, yeah. <laughs> with all the gun violence. Mm. So.
1: It's, it's hillbilly um, in our estimation and, and in our assumption when you start to extend things like um, what's proposed in Florida, that just strikes me as kind of like ludicrous, and it strikes me as yes, me um, too. In, it, it strikes me as inciting violence. Because as I say, people could actually turn around and say, "Okay, well, uh, I thought that he was looting, so I shot him."
0: Yeah, and I think like, it's okay. Gonna...
1: Who made the call then?
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think that is going to be more prominent with people of color rather than. You know, people that are not black. We saw we saw this happen with Trayvon Martin. And I think if this governor is passes this, I think people are going to get shot for shoplifting or like, you know what I mean? Like, I think people hillbillies are just going to start shooting people left and right. Mm. And especially with the current climate of the United States right now, being that this is the most divisive we've ever been racially. I mean, we even have people calling for a race war. I doubt that legislation like this is what's needed at the moment. But with good news, in my opinion, I doubt that gets passed because it sounds like some hillbilly ludicrous shit.
1: <laughs> oh man! Yeah, okay, yeah. just before we go, then, mm-hmm. uh, as as you've uh, as we are in the ask me anything territory um, of the show, yeah. just before we go, I've got a question for you then. Mm-hmm. When you were doing the um, behind the scenes at uh, the press event would you say, in terms of how and what you overheard that this notion of so called journalists um, and media being too pally pally friendly with the the fighters what would you say that that was the kind of like theme when you were actually Walking behind the scenes and in in press row because I personally feel as though I give media a hard time. But it's good to see it from somebody else's point of view who isn't necessarily traditional media, someone who's necessarily new to what they've seen. But would you say I'm being unduly harsh or from what you've seen with your own eyes? That is exactly as I've described it. What did you think?
0: Yeah, I do think you're being unduly harsh. And the only reason why that I say that is because I was the bird at media that didn't know that journalists should not fraternize with fighters in like a fan type of way. And nobody except for me was doing that except for the two newcomers. There was another young lady. This was her first event. And we literally Uh didn't know that you could not fawn over the fighters and be like, can I take a picture with you? Like we were somewhat (laughs) acting like fans. And I did not know you could couldn't do that. But when I looked around and saw Luke Thomas and and Amy, um, I forget her name, and, and a couple of other people, and Esther Lynn, and I'm sitting next to them, none of them were acting like this. None of them fraternized right. with the fighters. None of them are biased. None of them are like, good job. I hope you win. My ass was, and I learned very quickly that is not um, journalism. But I'm also not like, I'm like unorthodox. You know what I mean? Like, I'm there for the pod. I'm not really there for like a. MMA junkie or anything like that. So, But I quickly yeah. got my, my um, behavior in order and turned right into them and was impartial and unbiased. But I mm-hmm. do think, what I do think, though, that you could complain about, though, is that I did find that when Dana White does presses and I'm there, they tailor-made the questions so not to upset him.
1: And that, right. that's okay. not
0: with the fighters, but when Dana comes out and sits down, I notice that the, mm-hmm. the, the questions are definitely... Not to make sure that they get blackballed, um, they, they upset him or anything like that. Like he does have a very, he has a presence and you don't Interesting. A- yeah, yeah. I I did notice the questions were Taylor made for him. Right. As not to upset him and not to blackball the person asking the questions. I did notice that. Mm.
1: Mm. Okay. Well, that about wraps up this episode of the WOCast. Obviously, we'll be back Okay, Midweek me, with uh, the fellas Chisanga and Kairos. Until then, make some, make some trouble. trouble. Yeah. 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 Yeah.